podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Hello and welcome to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and Will Pugh and James Jones of West Ham World. And gents, West Ham's fans have been treated to a lot of good days at home this season. So only fitting that they should end the season at home with another very positive performance. Yeah, it was a very feel-good factor sort of day, Johnny, to be honest. It was, uh, the sun was out, it was a bit chilly, but uh, it was a nice walk up to the ground. Just one of those days where... You kind of look back on, you You won't remember it forever, but it's kind of one of those days you enjoy going to the football. Turn up, friends and family, couple of beers, watch the watch your team win convincingly, not too much sweating. And uh, yeah, no, it was all very, all very nice in the end. Yeah, I wasn't actually there this, this, this weekend. I was down in the south of France. All right, just um, just had to get that in there, yeah, James. But I mean, it, it was nice to see the, the goals flying and sort of sat there in my little veranda. With a cigar, and a, that's two. And we'll a, call it three, and a, and a glass of red, four, and uh, raise the glass up to the heavens. You know, were you surrounded by beautiful women at the time, James? Uh, beautiful vineyards. I mean, it's similar. Or was it, um, was it your missus with you? My, my wife was asleep, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't strictly be true. But um, no, I mean, obviously, and my brother as well. I mean, he's not a beautiful woman. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's a beautiful man. He's a beautiful man, I suppose. <laughs> you wouldn't be yeah. sleeping, of oh, course. Oh, my, if... my mother was there as well. well there we so go. There we go. Yeah, so I was surrounded by beautiful women. Good. And they wouldn't have been sleeping if they'd been at the game because, as you said, goals flying in. Yeah. Were you surprised by how easy it was against Southampton? Because we were talking last week and we were pointing out that actually Hasenhüttl's doing an absolutely brilliant job there. When he was brought in, they looked favourites for relegation. Shane Long's in the form of his life. Uh, Nathan Redmond looks very lively. And yet you just spanked them. Yeah, I'll be honest, I I was a bit worried at first mm. that it might be one of those games where once the pressure of relegation's off, the players can just go out. We said it last week, didn't we? That's it, yeah, with no pressure and a bit of freedom and just play their natural game. And I thought that might sort of come up and bite us a little bit. But luckily enough, it was it was the other classic football cliche where they'd done the hard bit, they'd achieved what they needed to achieve in the season and they were then what we've been talking about the last few months is holiday mode. Big time. Well, I think we had a touch as well that, you know, for some reason he played Fraser Forster, which, um, I mean, he hasn't played in, what, I think it was, it was over a year. It was his first appearance for over a year. And in that game, they conceded five. Um, so I think we had a bit of a result on that front. I mean, to have a rusty goalkeeper who, you know, was once labelled England's next number one to, to sort of be in, you know, a shadow of his former self. I think we had a result on that front. Um, and that, that kind of set the tone. I mean, I saw the starting lineups and it was... Apart from that, you know, Southampton weren't really that unchanged. But from 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 the get go, it sounds as though I mean I've seen the highlights and you know all the highlights were really centered around what we were doing rather than anything that Southampton were doing, and it kind of set the tone really. And I think it's always nice to end the season with a win at home. I think you know I think it's quite important going into the summer. Fans on a bit of a 
bit of a feel-good factor mm. and we can go again next year. Absolutely. Do you think this is one of the weaker Southampton sides that we've seen in the Premier League? Because in the past, there have always been serious danger men. It was Graziano Pella or it was Dusan Tadic, who of course will be in action for Ajax in a Champions League semi-final against Spurs later. Updates of that game for you throughout the show. And, you know, Shane Long, fantastic form. But Shane Long will never be two words that strike fear into the hearts of supporters. Do you think they're perhaps in a bit of a lull? I just think for the first time for a long time the selling club mentality that they've had for so long has come up to bite them mm. I think when they were offloading players Bale, Lovren, Van Dijk, Lalana, or Klein all of those when they Luke Shaw even back as far as then they've always had that or like that 50 million pound gem in their team who they pin their season on they say to them look just stay with us keep doing what you're doing for one more year you'll get your big move and the closest I've got to that at the moment is maybe James Ward-Prowse. Yeah, I mean, but he's not really one you can Matt build Target's a Matt not going to fetch 50 mil, is he? No, that's right. And I just think for the first time for a long time, because everyone was sort of, when they were selling all those big players, it was just like a conveyor belt, wasn't it? But there mm. was a general feeling, everyone was saying, well, it's got to come up and bite them soon. It's got to stop soon. And I just think this, it has done that. And I think the powers that be at Southampton have obviously realised that, haven't they? They realised they were in a bit of trouble with Hughes. And they've made the, a bold change, I think, with Hasenhutl, unproven in the Prem. But he's done an outstanding job. And I think they're only going to go on to bigger and better things next year. Yeah, I think they've got, you know, they've got a decent enough squad. Mm. I think um, Nathan, Nathan Redmond's a real good talent. I'd love him at West Ham, Nathan Redmond. Um, he's the one player that I really feared against us on Saturday, actually. I just I felt that you know, if there's anyone in that team that can make something happen, it's him. On his day, he's absolutely fantastic, but he's a bit too inconsistent for me. And if we're talking about inconsistency, I think I have to be nice about Ryan Fredericks because I have absolutely slated him in the past, not least for that substitute performance against Manchester United. But he was very, very good against Southampton and he popped up with a goal. He was fantastic. He wasn't very, very good. He was even better than that. I mean, I I was obviously watching him play and it seemed like he had a good game. You came away... You come away from the game thinking, oh, yeah, no, he's, he's done well there. And obviously he got the goal, which was, you mentioned Forster there. It was a little bit fortuitous. He kind of, it was a bit of a classic right-back goal. Found himself in the opposition half, What's swung that? his leg at it. What's yeah. that thing with a net hanging off the back of it? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Then, you know, brilliant for him. Really good. I'm, I'm glad it went in. And it's kind of what we were saying last week in the Zabaleta chat. And... I really think we've got to give him a chance next year because he's obviously he's very raw still, but he's obviously got the ingredients. Do you to think be, he's good enough? I do. Uh, yeah, maybe not right now, but I think he's got enough. I think you've definitely got to take a gamble on him, and he should be our number one next year with Zabalet hovering around. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting that that performance came well only a few days after Zabalet, you know, it was announced Zabalet was was signing a new deal, um, like just a, another one year contract. Because, you know, obviously he's been told behind the scenes that, okay, Zabalet has been handed a new deal, but, you know, you're the future in this position. Um, you're going to start the weekend, but I need a, I need a performance from you because otherwise Zabalet is going to start at the beginning of the season. And I think it's interesting that he's responded in, in that way with, with a performance like that. Um, okay, the perform, uh, you know, the opposition clearly weren't up to it on the day. Um, but you want your players to respond to news like that in terms of the competition in their position to, to, to respond with a performance like that and... Um, it's great to see, you know, players like that get on the score sheet um, and and return, you know, ninety minutes of consistent football. Because some players they drift in and out of games, wouldn't they? 
uh, particularly if you know you're on top of games and you're attacking and you're three nil up and or you're two nil up and you know defenders haven't really got a lot to do. But he stayed in the game and I think that's that's important and it's a good sign for next season. Absolutely, and one man who's been drifting in and out of favour with the West Ham faithful is a certain Mr Marko Arnautovic. We'll be touching on him in serious depth later in the show. Has he done enough to repair those wounds, to perhaps rebuild the bridges that he burnt down in January? But coming up, this wasn't just a good win. It was a win without a few key men in that side. Don't go anywhere. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and James Jones and Will Pugh of West Ham World. Now we've touched on the brilliance of that win. 3-0, not just excellent going forward, tight at the back as well. And this was a performance that came without Pellegrini really sending out his strongest 11. No Felipe Anderson, the star going forward. No Declan Rice, who has often been the glue who holds it all together defensively in midfield. Encouraging that you can do it without everyone fit and firing. It was it just I'm glad you touched on that to be honest Johnny because it was a little bit worrying from my dad who brazenly suggested to me before the game when the teams came out that when he saw no rice and no anderson it just quickly ruined my perfectly nice day I was having <laughs> by suggesting ah oh, well that's a couple of big bids have come in for them then so they'll be off I saw this from you on Twitter. Very, yeah. very interesting. You were saying the suggestion might be that the club had decided to rest the key men because if they get injured, you lose your 60 million quid from Real Madrid. Exactly. I hadn't thought about it until he said it. I was having quite a nice day. And I was like, oh, thanks, Dad. So I took to Twitter to vent. Do you think that's true? Do you think that is what's going on? No. It just it just seemed a little bit coincidental. And Declan Rice tweeted as well, didn't he, saying, oh, I'm really gutted to miss the game through illness. Really all... gutted to go back to Chelsea. <laughs> it just, I don't know, it just it concerned me a bit at the time. I think I might have got a bit carried away in the in the moment. But that did um, that did concern me a little bit, first of all. We'll see, we'll see if they play I, against Watford. I don't, I don't think there's anything in that. I mean, you're telling me that Pellegrini is going to go, if David Sullivan calls him up on the Saturday morning and goes... I'll just let you know, you can't play Anderson and Rice because we might get a bid for them in the next few weeks, so you can't play them. I think Pellegrini's going to go, yeah, go on then, Dave. I'll drop them. Well, <laughs> uh, do you think... Well, what if they if, already had one? Well, that's, well the, that's the point. And if he were to say to Pellegrini, and this is all speculation, and I'm sure you're right that it's rubbish, but it is an interesting one because I take your point that Pellegrini is never going to want to A, weaken his team, or B, submit to control from above, meddling in first-team affairs. That said... If you get a call from your boss as a manager and he says, we've had a £75 million bid for Felipe Anderson, you leave him out for the last two games and that money is yours to reinvest and then some, might you be more tempted to cooperate? Potentially. I mean, Snodgrass weren't in the squad either and I just wonder whether there was a £70 million bid coming from, from Real Madrid, Madrid. <laughs> for, for, for Bobby Snoddy. You know, maybe they need, he's, they need he's a the set man. piece danger, man. Maybe that would make more man. sense, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that was the first thing I thought of when I didn't see Snodgrass. <laughs> Just oh fear, God. immediate fear. Yeah, did who, you drop your cigar, Jay? I dropped my cigar. <laughs> uh, I saved the wine. I, uh, I'm not dropping that. But no, I, I just don't think there's anything in that. You know, if if one player gets gets falls ill in the training ground, then there's, there's a risk that another player falls ill as well because you know they're in and amongst each other. Uh, sharing the showers and all that. So it just so happened it was 180 million quid's <laughs> worth of talent. <laughs> so I don't on. know. I refuse to. I refuse to uh, uh, see that as the the real reason why. But there's going to be an interesting way of answering this question because they haven't gone for the classic 
muscle injury with Declan Rice. They've gone for illness. And if he misses the Watford game through illness, how ill is he? I mean, how often do you get ill in a way that you're out of action for a fortnight? If he misses that game, then there'll be questions. I think I don't think you'll miss it. And uh, I mean, I mean, it's that time of year, and it's probably got a better hay fever. Oh, I've had col- I've had colds in the past that have lasted a few weeks when yeah. I was trying to get off of school. <laughs> <laughs> Were you trying to wangy, wrangle a move to another school? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, my mum's trying to sell me. I think on the quiet <laughs> deadline day, moving a math set. Yeah. It's interesting that the hay fever argument. Can you imagine Declan Rice going out and Pellegrini having to stop the grass? We go, no, don't cut the grass today. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna have a serious problem if you cut that grass. <laughs> But no, I think the Arnautovic, as far as him, like his performance goes, it was it was nice to see him score the two, obviously. And it was nice to see that. And I think he enjoyed it as well. We've seen a lot in his body language in the last few weeks where it seems not so much he doesn't want to be there, but if and if you understand, it's just that he, he would rather have been somewhere else. I think that, that move's still playing on his mind. That hasn't gone. And that will, and he will obviously be thinking about what's going to happen in the summer if that huge opportunity financially has gone. I was waiting for the little financially. In the no, end. of course, because that is all it is. Mm. Which is, you know, we like we have argued about that before, whether that's right or wrong. And but that's obviously still in his performance and in his coming through in his body language. But it was n- nice to see him put them in. He enjoyed it, but I still just have that feeling that come the summer. If another bid comes in, I think for both parties, it it might just be one of those times where you have to go, you know what, too much damage was done. Mm, Interesting on that front. We'll get into that in just a moment. Beyond just his performance in that Southampton game, and we have to, of course, recognise that, as you say, Will, he might not actually be at the club next season. But more broadly, from the team as a whole, the likes of Frederick stepping their game up, do you think this is positive looking ahead to next year? I think, I mean, I know we ended last season with a couple of good, I think we were unbeaten in four at the end of last season. And, you know, I said this about this time last year, I was like, it's a great sign going into next year. We'll have a new manager, we'll have new players. And then we lost the first four games of the season. <laughs> um, but I do genuinely think that t- this year it's different because, you know, pe- we know the manager's not going anywhere. Um, we we know that we're going to keep hold of keep hold of, you know, the bulk of the, the, bulk of the squad. I know there's going to be a lot of players that are going to be leaving, but... Um, if if you end the season like this strongly, then you go into the following season with a little bit of investment in the summer. We know there's not going to be a lot of money available, um, or so we're led to believe anyway. But it just feels as if something's happening. I'm not saying you know next year we're going to challenge for the top four or we you know, but it does feel as if something positive is happening at the football club. We've had our best uh, season at home since we moved stadiums. And um, how important has that been? As well? I mean, exactly. I think if, if anything, that's the most important thing. Uh, and we could we, we should probably speak talk a little bit more about that really maybe, maybe we'll do it next week once the season's over but you know only three less points uh, one at home than our last season at the bowling ground so we've had a real solid home season um, and I just think that you know, going to next year with a better squad I think you know you've got to look at it with a positive light you have to Definitely, because when we've we've covered it plenty of times this year, when and all football fans are guilty of it, you get caught up in that week to week mentality of highs and lows, and your weeks only or your mood is only as good as the result at the weekend. Mm. And I've you know I've been guilty of it, and as does everyone, where we had that that really excellent run around Christmas time, and it was all hunky dory and everything was great. We lost a couple of games that I think it was Bournemouth and Wolves after that, where we were all really disappointed again. But 
every time we've spoke about it on the show, week in, week out, I've always tried to caveat it with, but it's all right because I feel okay because the club's going in the right direction. And I definitely, definitely feel that way. And certainly for me, if we manage to clinch ninth place on the last day of the season, I think that pleases both sets of supporters then, the ones that are able to think bigger picture, but it will also please those who get caught up in the week to week and just look at the football, uh, look at the table, sorry, mm. and the result each week and say, oh, it's not good enough or oh, it's brilliant just because we're playing well and doing well. So I, I think that ninth place is more important than perhaps people realise. Mm-hmm. Something we'll come on to later in the show. Another thing that we'll have running through the show is, of course, updates from tonight's Champions League action as Spurs aim to turn over a first-leg defeat against Ajax. It's a tough job away in the Netherlands. Do you think they can do it? Honestly? Honestly? No. Is that just because you hope they won't do it, James? Uh, partly. <laughs> um, I really hope they don't. I know there's a lot of people out there probably listening now that go, oh, no, you know, it's all about, you know, you want the English teams to win. You want the teams to do well in Europe. You want an all-English final. No, we don't. We Honestly, we don't. Uh, I'm happy that Liverpool got to the final. <laughs> yeah. Will's not so much, not that happy. Um, but I just don't want to see Tottenham in the final because even if they lost the final, we'd still never hear the end of it. Uh, and there's still an outside chance that Tottenham won't be playing Champions League football next year. I think we need an eight-goal swing on the final mm. day. Um, and that would be beautiful. It would be a real beautiful moment for football. So I don't think they're going to do it. No, but I think that's massive hypocrisy from you there, James Jones, because <laughs> what you've just said, what you've just said about Tottenham and that you don't want an all-English final, etc., etc., it's the same about Liverpool. Do you think they're just going to go away and be quiet about it, for whether they win it or not? Do you think that they'll be just, oh, that was a good win, good comeback over Barcelona, wasn't but, it? Didn't but, we do well but to with get that, to the exactly, final? Exactly, well, even if they don't win it, haven't Liverpool earned some bragging rights? I mean, if I were a Liverpool fan, and I know we hear a lot about Liverpool fans that they do like giving it large, but if I were a Liverpool fan walking into work this morning, I would have been singing You'll Never Walk Alone as I walk through the door. I would have been insufferable for an entire day. Haven't they earned that? If your club does something like that, that's what football's about. You go in, you see your mates, you give it massive. No, I agree. And that's exactly what I did a couple of weeks ago with my Tottenham friends. And they were swift to remind me, ah, it's your cup final. And I was like, yeah, I know. And we won it. Yeah, we won it. <laughs> yeah. lost it. Sorry. Yeah, and that, that is right. And of course, if you're, if you're in that position, then it's absolutely fantastic to... To like you know to pull off something like that, I think it's just that I was listening to the commentary last night as the game's going on. But you know, I'm not taking away from the achievement at all. It's a fantastic result, four 0 at home to Barcelona, a team that haven't conceded more than three goals for about 700 years. I just it just feeds into this myth that Liverpool some witchcraft but it's peddling not a, but it's body. Not a myth, of, is it? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it's supernatural, but Liverpool do have a list, a repertoire of European comebacks on those unbelievable European nights under the floodlights like nobody else. They've got Dortmund across the two legs. They've got Istanbul. Now this, Arsenal haven't done that. Chelsea haven't done that. Spurs haven't done it. West Ham haven't done it either. I tell, I tell, you, I tell you, Anfield's not for everyone. Barcelona lost it. It was 4-0. Four, four we won their 3-0 a couple of years ago. Therefore, <laughs> so West we Ham, have done it. West Ham, better than Barcelona. <laughs> This is Love Sport. It's the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. And how do you solve a problem like Marco? 
enigmatic Austrian, brilliant in front of goal, turned up at the club and you knew you had something special. Came in from Stoke, immediately he looked lethal. That central role suited him. The fans took to him like ducks to water. He was scoring goals. He was popular. And then his brother decided that China is lovely this time of year. And everything seemed to shift in January. He was posturing for a move. Of course, well, the finances, as you were suggesting, a massive factor. Then When he realised that a move to China wasn't going to happen and that Pochettino wasn't going to come in either, he was apologetic up to a point. He issued a classic footballer's apology, which includes neither the word I'm nor the word sorry. But he is now back. The fans have slowly gone, all right, Marco, you can play again. He's slowly gone, I'll turn up again. But with performances like that against Southampton, two goals, running the show, physical bullying, wonderful finesse, almost got the hat-trick. Very, very hard for you as West Ham fans, surely, to look at a player like that and go, I want you out the door. Well, we saw we saw signs of it in the Tottenham performance, didn't we, where he set out the winner. In the second half, yeah. But it's all very well banging in two goals against Southampton, uh, uh, but I don't think the majority of our fans will, will forget what happened because, let's put it right, if, if he... If he didn't do what he did earlier in the season and try and you know maneuver you know maneuver his way to China and you know okay fair enough he said he was going to do it with his family because the finances on the table fair enough mate ways of doing it though but the- but then if he hadn't done that you think we'll be we won't be back we wouldn't be battling for the top nine we'd be we'd be, we may be like hoping for a win at the weekend to finish to finish seventh. No, I, I I genuinely believe that what he did in in January and over the over the festive period has affected our season in, in as much as you know we we may have beaten Wimbledon you know in that cup game because he would have been playing you know we we might be finishing high up the table we might still have something to play for this year other than ninth you know and I, I genuinely believe that you know because up until that point he was playing well he was scoring goals and then it all just changed and suddenly we had to find a different outlet for goals but even if he did play a role in that dip in form and I think you're spot on that he did. Can you forgive him for it? Because he can have been at fault and also have a future. Go on. I think you can forgive him, providing an honest, open and frank conversation happens between both parties at the end of this season. I think it's important for Pellegrini and the board, but Pellegrini particularly, to just sit down with him and they just talk to each other man to man and just say, look, do you want to be here or do you not? Because let's have this out now early on, as soon as the season's over. Because if you do, brilliant. And if you can actually get back to the player that you were before, at the beginning of the season, that got you all this interest from, from China in the first place, if you can actually do that and you're going to show that with your actions on the training pitch and in pre-season, then fine, we will forgive it. As a, as a club, as a management staff, they will. And the fans will follow in as well if they see him. They would have forgiven him already, if he'd been playing like he was before all this happened, guaranteed. If he'd been putting in the same performances week in, week out since January, we'd have already forgiven him, but he hasn't. So I think they need to establish very quickly whether he's going to be able to do that or not next season. Because if not, it is just time to move him on, I think. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. I, I can't... I, I wouldn't go as far to say it's unforgivable what he did. Had, had our season completely collapsed and we'd have been relegated then that would have been a completely different story. But we didn't, you know, we, we were able to sort of regroup and go again and, you know, and work our way into mid-table, uh, potentially the top half of the, the Premier League. Um, but, you know, the, a lot of fans will point it and go, you know, 
we're only interested in players that want to play for the badge and clearly don't want to do that. He's only got his eyes on the money. But really, apart from the likes of Mark Noble, you know, what player he's playing for the Who badge. Who does these you know, days, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I would never hold that against him because, you know, he's not the only player that's ever tried to, to wangle his way for, for more money. Well, I was about to say, West Ham do have previous of having brilliant cult heroes who suddenly decide that the grass is greener. We saw the same with Payet. Why does this happen? Because it seems that however much love you guys pour at your star man, he will eventually decide that he's going to behave quite badly. But uh, Because love doesn't pay their mortgages, does it? And I, I, I know that sounds so crass. And I, by saying it, I'm not endorsing it My or saying that I like that it at all. Day. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not endorsing it at all. And it, um, you know, I'm the same as most football fans in that I hate that about football so much. I've been crying out for an NFL-style salary cap for more longer than I can remember just to try and get away from that but I think the thing is same thing happened with with Tevez and we still love him more than life itself but I just think when when you say that Johnny about the grass is greener unfortunately for not so much like Pyatt but for some players the grass is greener in two ways both financially and football wise as well and I think the the financial both things are big pulls to the players but the, the finances is the one isn't it and if there is that chance be it in England or be it abroad of getting a few more quid in the bank every week there are very few these days as James touched on there in a West Ham shirt or otherwise that will turn their nose up to those opportunities so you're saying that Marco Anatovic is just representative of the modern footballer and it would be unfair of us to hold him to higher standards uh yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, you know, at the end of the day a lot of people forget that okay, we love West Ham, you know, it, you know, it runs through our veins. You know, we could never change football club. We've, you know, we've we've born with it. That's it. You deal with it. Doesn't matter what league you're in, whether you're winning or losing, but for him it's a job. And a lot of people forget that. For all, 99.9% of footballers it's just a job. Um and, you know, if there's more money on the line, and we've said it before, I know it's cliche, but if you were for more money to go somewhere else and change jobs, you'd probably take it. Uh, and it's no different with him. It's just the difference is he's got 60,000 fans every Saturday cheering him on uh, and loving him. Um, I don't have 60,000 fans cheering me Speak on. Speak for yourself. Uh, <laughs> you haven't seen our listing figures, clearly, James, because you do. <laughs> but, I mean, it, I mean, that's the truth of that, I think. you know, it, it's, it's a completely different world sport in general and football and you know I think we just have to accept that a lot of fans have to accept it okay so we won't be too harsh on Marco but it's not just him of course who could stand to gain financially because if it's the same kind of figure as the ones we were hearing about in January the club could benefit as well we're talking upwards of 30 possibly upwards of 40 million pounds if I said to you now listen 45 million quid Arnautovic is off and you can reinvest that money in either Maxi Lopez or Andrea Bellotti. What's your response? I think for 45 million, I think I, I still think that conversation... 29, don't forget. Yeah, I, I, I would probably take that. I do still think that conversation needs to happen because I think he's got... If, he's, if he changes his attitude back to his attitude at the beginning of the season, he's got it in him and he can be a real stalwart at a club for another... He's got another couple of years in him easily... But for forty-five million pound, and then you go, yeah, perhaps someone like Maxi Gomez or someone who's at the the more friendly end of their twenties, then yeah, maybe you take it. <laughs> Talking of stalwarts for the club, it's a special day for one of them. Happy birthday! This is Love Sport. Mark Noble.
It's the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow and James Jones and Will Pugh of West Ham World. And we heard there me perhaps losing it a little bit when Liverpool did the apparently impossible last night. Still extraordinary. Will Pugh is still furious and we do have more Champions League action for you tonight. Will there be more drama? Spurs versus Ajax. We'll be bringing you updates throughout the game. Of course, there is a player in that Ajax team who Premier League fans know very well, Dusan Tadic. If you guys were Spurs fans, would he worry you? Because the one we're seeing in Amsterdam seems to be a completely different bloke to the one who was at Southampton. I think that's a funny thing, isn't it? When you hear the name Dusan Tadic, you just hear Southampton. And I don't think the name or the word Southampton has ever threatened or worried anyone, has it? Nah, I mean, I've always rated him. I don't know about anyone else, but I think I think he's, when he was at Southampton, I thought he was a good player. He was, yeah, he was, was good, but he was still at Southampton. He was still at Southampton, yeah. Um, yeah, I know. I think, you know, I think he's doing. I think he's proving a lot of Southampton fans wrong. So I know that you know I know a few Southampton fans, and they were getting a bit frustrated with him towards the end of his uh, St Mary's career. And you know, he's gone over there, and he's sort of you know reinvented himself. And uh, good luck to him. You know, he's got opportunity to play in a in a Champions League final potentially. So he's got one foot in it already. And he's he's been an important part of that Ajax team, you know, this season. Some players like to change club to give themselves a fresh start. James, your phrase was reinvent themselves. One man who's never been tempted to reinvent himself or indeed to move club is Mark Noble, West Ham's stalwart, one club man, and it's his birthday. Happy birthday, Mark. Happy birthday. You were thrilled that that count fell on the same day as the show, weren't you, James? Oh, absolutely. I woke up this morning and uh, I've got a calendar uh, reminder. You know, <laughs> Just of Mark Noble. Yeah, Mark Noble's birthday. I woke <laughs> up, first thing I saw, what's happening today on my calendar? Oh, Mark Noble's birthday. Fantastic. And uh, no, I, I love the man. And he was brilliant again at the weekend. Yeah, he was. He's been brilliant recently. You know, his form particularly, to, I mean, against Tottenham, he was, you know, but he always is good against them because he knows what it means. Um, but I, th- I just think that you know, I won't have a bad word said about him. I think, you know, as we were just saying about Michael Anatovich before the break, you know, fans expect a certain level of loyalty when, you know, players are put on the shirt. Um, Mark Noble completely sums up loyalty as a word uh, at West Ham. You know, a case of West Ham fan, he grew up just around the corner in Canning Town. You know, he's he's Mr. West Ham as, as, as we know it. And, but I, I still believe he's one of the most underrated midfielders in in the country, uh, and I think he has been throughout his career. And I think you know, I, I think it's still absolutely criminal he's never had a, a call up to the national team, having captained the under twenty ones for many years. Um, and you know, I think that you know we're lucky to have a player like him because you know, there aren't many left of him, and there won't be any in the future. Well, you know what? One thing you touched on it there about him being the most underrated player in the Prem or the midfielder. Sorry, mm-hmm. James Collins was asked. He was covering one of our games. He was a pundit in the studio recently. The I think game. It was a Tottenham, was a Tottenham game, wasn't it? Yeah, and he he came out and said. Then he was asked in some general conversation, bearing in mind some of the players he's played with, particularly for Wales, Bale and Ramsey. He also played with Bent and uh, Downing and Agbon Lahore, etc. When they were at their peak at Aston Villa. And he was asked who the best player he's ever played with. And he said Mark Noble. And he was almost sheepish in the studio. <laughs> and I know, Johnny, you're laughing Was, was then, he joking? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, apparently not. Well, not apparently not. He just I wasn't. I suppose he could have said Agbong Lahore. And then we would have known that he would have been joking. He was on a one. But all the pundits in the studio did the same thing you just did there, Johnny. And just sort of giggled to themselves as he said it. And he looked a bit sheepish. But he said, 
you will never understand unless you until you play with Mark Noble what a what a pleasure it is to be on the same pitch as him. He just keeps things ticking over. And I still think the same now. On on Saturday he was he was brilliant. He just he commands play. He just doesn't he doesn't do anything that or too much that will make you go, Whoa, that's outstanding. But if you appreciate football and if you look at the game as a whole, he just keeps things ticking over and keeps the ball moving. Do you think that in a sense Mark Noble is unlucky to be English? Not because he'd necessarily have got caps elsewhere, but one argument that Love Sports' very own Patrick Christie's likes to make, Patrick, of course, presenting and co-presenting Drive from half three until seven every day, Monday to Friday, he calls Eddie Howe Eduardo Halzini. Now, he says that Eddie Howe would be getting the biggest jobs in world football if there was a bit more glitz there, a bit more glamour. And with Mark Noble, we see similarly understated midfield players, the likes of Busquets, who is obviously better than Noble but the Busquets and Will Pugh pulling a face is is, is Busquets better than Noble I don't believe it do you think Noble would be perhaps glorified a little bit more if he was South American no I think I think where Mark Noble has been unlucky in his career is that he he came through at a time where England's midfield had Stephen Gerrard Frank Lampard uh, and players like that Carrick Hargreaves, yeah. And he was never going to get into the England team, even though he probably deserved to at least get a call-up. And particularly after those players were sort of being faded out of the national team. Friendly reminder that Jake Livermore has seven England caps. Yeah, I mean, it's criminal. I mean, this this is the thing that really annoys me. Even um, Ryan Mason's got an England cap. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> um, it, it annoys me. But I think he's if been he unlucky. Pl- if he played for a more fashionable club, I think he might have done. I think that's, the, that's a problem. West Ham players have always been... Not frowned upon, but they've always been. England managers have always been a little bit hesitant to to give call ups. And like you say, Livermore and Mason, you mentioned there, both got one thing in common: they're you know Tottenham links. And Tottenham are that they're a bit the darling of of English football and the FA and England managers as far as selection goes. But again, you you he played against some outstanding players, Noble, but he also came through at a time when it was very much fashionable picks wasn't it and if you played for one of the big teams regardless of how good you actually were if you had a contract with Man United then you got called up for England if you had a contract with Liverpool you got called up for England yeah that that was my next point and okay he was unlucky when all those players were playing were coming through and playing you know playing for some of the top six clubs but he was also unlucky I mean he won't say it but he was unlucky that you know he was born in West Ham and grew up a West Ham fan and played for West Ham and was captain of West Ham as you quite rightly said, had he been captain for Arsenal or, or Man United or any of the top six clubs, he'd have had he'd have thirty, forty, fifty caps for England by now. And I, you know, anyone can say anything to try and convince me otherwise. But unless you watch him week in, week out, you don't really appreciate what he offers a football a football team, let alone West Ham. Uh, and you know, as I said before, he's he's one of a kind now because there are how many? I mean, if he plays majority of next season, he'll reach five hundred appearances, first team appearances for West Ham. I think it's on 468 or something like that at the moment. That is incredible. In this day and age, you don't get players staying at clubs uh, for all of their careers and making that many appearances for one club. And you won't get any in the future because of the money involved, because there's not no loyalty left. Um, so we need to champion that. I, I really do believe we need to champion it. Do you think the era of the one-club man is straightforwardly over? Yeah, I do. Why? Um well, as, as we've already established tonight and, and on previous shows, uh, and Mark Arnautovic, I think, is is 
a key example of that. That you know, with the amount of money that's involved, players' heads are turned. I, if they so play for a West Ham, though, that, and no disrespect just say to West that. Ham, if we look at say Phil Foden, who's coming through as a potentially world class player, but plays for Man City, he could get that money. He could get that that success. Similarly to Gerard, who of course, by the way, did have his head turned on quite a few occasions. If you come through at a top club, have you still not got a chance? Well, I Definitely. mean, well, apparently City are, are, are really keen on Bruno Fernandes, which what does that do to Phil Foden no, but at if City? You, if you, so, I mean, yeah, you're right. But then Pep Guardiola leaves City. Where does that leave Phil Foden? New manager comes in, doesn't quite like the look of him. Yeah, okay, he's a top player, got a lot of potential, but it's all down to the managers. You know, you, I mean, Martin Noble has also been lucky in the fact that, I mean, he's played for eight different West Ham managers, something crazy like that. Um when everyone says, oh, Mark Noble's average, where well, I go, well, eight different managers that have come into the club have, have, a, different, have a different viewpoint because he's stuck with, that, with, with that, that, that player. I think a couple of bits, but Johnny's spot on there, what, what you mentioned about depends who you come through at because Trent Alexander-Arnold, Rashford, Lingard, if they want to be one club men, they can because they're starting out pretty much at the top. So there's very few places they can go. So I do agree with that point. And I also think with Noble, as much as, and I love him as much as the next man, I do also think there's probably only been a few occasions where he's been playing above the general level of the club. When we're in the championship, you know, there were a couple of seasons, but I think three seasons in total, but the one main one. If we hadn't have gone straight back up, I don't think he'd still be there. But on the whole, he's kind of been at our level. It's never been like he's standing out like a sore thumb because he's so good and we're so rubbish. He's kind of gone up and down with the club, I think. It's been a wonderful story. And he, of course, is a product of that famous West Ham Youth Academy. It's got an illustrious history. And that history is about to have a new chapter because we've heard today that Terry Westley, who has been in charge for the last five years or so, is on his way out of the club. And coming up, we'll be talking to Tony Carr, former director of youth development at West Ham, to find out just why they are successful and what life is going to look like after Terry. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and James Jones and Will Pugh of West Ham World. And I'm delighted to say that we're also joined on the line by Tony Carr, who is former director of youth development at West Ham, an absolute maestro of bringing young players through at Premier League level. Tony, lovely to have you with us. Thanks ever so much yeah, for good your evening. time. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, of course, we've got this news that Terry Wesley is set to depart the club after a really yeah. lovely few years. First of all, what have you made? What's your assessment of his reign so far? Um, I, I think it's you know it's it's been a respectable period of of time he's, he's had there. I think he's been there just just coming up to five years. I worked with him for his first year or so. You know, when I was um, I had the role of academy ambassador after I'd left the, my role as the academy director and, and obviously helped him settle in and, uh, and watched him work at close quarters. He, you know, he's, he, he's a good coach and, um, you know, he, he was well organised and, um, and obviously, you know, the starring player this year has, has been obviously been Declan Rice, who, you know, obviously had been at the club quite a while, but was before, was at the club before Terry got there. But uh, Terry's helped nurture him and, and push him to that next level, and and um, credit must be given to also the, the managers that uh, blooded him and 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 uh, stayed faithful with him, which is uh, 
a rarity with young players today that uh, managers tend to be very impatient about uh, putting young players in. And when they do go in and don't perform immediately, you know, they, they don't always get a second chance. But um, Mr. Pellegrini has stuck with Declan and stuck with him through thick and thin. And, we, you know, the club now, and we're all reaping the rewards of that. Tony, good to speak to you again. You'll know better, yeah. than, you'll know better than everyone else, of course, uh, how important the the role of the academy director is and the academy staff as a yeah. whole at a club. Yes. When you're when you're at that, obviously you you worked through all the, a variety of different levels at the club. When you get to that academy yeah. director level, how how close is would someone like yourself or someone like Terry? How close are they working with the kids day to day on the training pitch? Well, um, if we take myself, I mean, I was on the training pitch every day. Um, and I, I made it my uh, mission to be on the training pitch every day. All the other stuff that goes with it, you know, meetings with the more senior staff or dealing with problems with other staff, uh, obviously overseeing the evening coaching with the with the um, part-time coaches that come in and coach the schoolboys in the evening. And that's, that's part and parcel of it. But I did make it my my duty to be on the grass every day. And I think, to be fair to Terry, I think his strength was on the grass. And I think he enjoyed being out on the grass on most days, if not every day. So, yes, I think, you know, I think you have to be hands-on. I don't think you can be office-based. You have to know what's going on. You have to sort of govern what's going on and guide it uh, and set that standard. So, um, no, I'm I'm sure Terry, um, you know, even after I left the club, was was on the pitch most days. Tony, I mean, a lot of fans um, probably, although they would have heard of uh, Terry and, and, and the work that he's done, uh, a lot of fans maybe, you know, maybe not really understand that the full or appreciate the full job that he's done at the club over the last five years. Um, and I know you said you, you worked with him for, for that sort of year uh, during his time. I mean, can you give us a little bit more insight into sort of, you know, how important his role at the club has been? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, the academy director sets the standard. He, he sets the, you know, the way that the, the, the department will work, the way the coaches should work. And, and obviously you've got to sort of put the right coaches with the right teams, with the right players, etc. You know, because there's an art to working with nine and 10 year olds as there is working with 15, 16 year olds. And then obviously it, with the scholars and the full-time group of players, you know, the under-23s, etc. So you have to have an insight of what it takes to to um, to bring in the right staff with the right players and the right teams. And, and, and Terry did change quite a lot of the staff that uh, that, that, that I left there. So he, he had a big change. He had his own ideas, which was his right to do that. Um, he had big ideas about how he wanted things done and he wanted some changes and obviously he put them in place. But um, I think the club has turned a little bit of a circle in, in the last five years in, ten, in terms of you know, the managers are now buying in more to what the academy has to offer. Whereas um, just in my last two or three years, that wasn't the case. And um, we found it hard to get players through. But uh, certainly that, I think that's changed now with Grady playing Saturday and being part of the, part of the squad. Declan being... You know, obviously part and parcel of it on a regular basis, uh, and one or two of the other younger players playing in the Carabao Cup. So, 
certainly the, the managers having a good look at what's in the what's you know what's in the academy and uh, and are giving them giving them the chance. And credit must go to Terry for that as well because obviously he has to put those players in front of the manager and and uh, and convince the manager these these players can can do the job and uh, that is also part of the academy manager to to strike up a rapport with the, the manager and the senior staff. So you end up trusting each other's judgments. Tony, the big question, of course, on West Ham fans' lips will be, where now for this academy? Where is the yeah, future going to be? I'm, What's I'm, the direction? Yeah, yeah, because Liam Manning has also left. I mean, Terry brought in Liam from Ipswich as the under-23s coach. And um, I know I was there when he did that. Liam is a good guy and a good coach, a very good coach, and was very well suited to to the West Ham style and the West Ham ethos. And um, I, I was disappointed to hear that he had also left or is leaving at the end of this season. And I think, and to be fair, I think he's already left. And obviously now Terry's leaving. It does leave a big void. You know, the the, the lead coach with Steve Potts for the under 23s, and and and, and the number one role, the academy manager, stroke director. So uh, I know they brought Ricky Martin in to replace um, Adam Rames, who was the operations manager. Uh, and so he settled in quite quickly because, um, I mean, I know Ricky anyway from his time at Norwich. And as a youngster, he did train at West Ham. So you know, I did work with him many, many years ago. So I know uh, Ricky and you now he settled in quite well. And I think he'll be very well suited to the club. But where they go with the academy manager and the, the, the new under-23s coach, whether they promote from within with Jack Collison, maybe, or Mark Phillips. Um, I mean, I know Jack's um, impatient, if that's the right term. He wants to be, you know, with the senior players. He wants to be a manager in the future. Maybe they'll promote him. I don't know. But that, that may be logical to promote from within and then recruit uh, someone a little bit lower down. But, um, no, it's, it's a dilemma. I wouldn't know where to go. I mean, obviously... If it was my choice, I'd have some ideas, and you know, also. Um, but you know, I'm not in that process, so it'd be interesting to see where they go. T- Tony, just one last quick one before you go. The one of the big things that um, Terry sort of overseen, if you like, or certainly been involved in, is the development of the brand new multi-million-pound academy complex. You know, development yeah. of the new facilities at Chadwell Heath. Is that something that was? on the horizon during your time there because there's been quite well, a lot of publicity around. to be honest, it was something there. that I've been pushing for for many, many years. And uh, all we ever did was bring in another porter cabin. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's the truth. You know, that's all we ever did. Whenever we needed more space, we just brought in another porter cabin. deemed as temporary uh, accommodations and, and uh, things. Whereas, you know, a build, you know, it needs, you know, planning permission. And I was always knocked back to say, you know, that you, we won't get the planning permission. But I'd been banging the drum for it for, for, for many a year, I have to say. So it's, it's long overdue. And um, where the credit goes for that, I don't know. I mean, whether Terry drove it or, the, 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 you know, the chairman and, and the board decided that, you know, it was time to upgrade Chadwell Heath after upgrading Rush Green. I don't know where, where that decision uh, came from, but... Uh, Certainly, you know, I was there at the opening and it's, and it's a terrific facility, absolutely. long overdue. Absolutely, yeah, and it's, it's now sounding overdue, like the future terrific. will be more concrete than just porter cabins, Tony, which is always Yeah, nice. exactly, yeah, exactly. Lovely to speak to you, but, as but, ever. Thank you ever so much for your time. Tony Carr there, who's the former Director of Youth Development at West Ham. The big question, of course, about Terry Westley is what this opportunity is he's leaving the club for, because we've heard he's been given an opportunity in a 
directorial role, a director it's of football a technical role, technical director, yeah. overseas. Where do we think this might be? Oh, I mean, floating around the idea that maybe he's going to get everything ready for Arnautovic in China. <laughs> <laughs> but, maybe, uh, that's, but maybe it's part of the deal. We've 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 sold them both of them. Yeah, they were, so. I mean, they were quite vague. The club released a statement earlier on. It was quite, to be fair, it was quite. It was obviously one they'd come up with together. There's some very warm quotes from Wesley about the about the board and the support and how proud he was of the work he's done in his time at the club with Grady and Declan and a couple of the other younger lads, Connor Coventry and Joe Powell, playing in the game at Macclesfield earlier in the season together in the first team. Mm. So it was all, it was quite a nice statement. It's quite detailed, but they're very vague on the on the on what exactly is the position that he's going to next, other than it's a technical director's role overseas. So it could be anything, really, couldn't it? could be anywhere. could be going to Wales and no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I really, really hope not. Why would you leave West Ham for Wales? Why would you leave West Ham for anywhere, Johnny? Yeah, there is, of course, the glorious story about Wilfred Bonney, who reportedly, when he signed for Swansea City, thought that Swansea was in London. That is a very nasty surprise for poor old Wilfred. When you turn up from Vitesse, lovely, grassy, green Holland, you think you're going to London. Nope, Swansea. Talking of Holland, we do, of course, have Champions League action for you tonight. Spurs versus Ajax is about to kick off. It's an absolutely massive game updates for you from that throughout the show and also of course Liverpool last night a spectacular comeback we'll be asking what is West Ham's finest ever comeback don't go anywhere this is love sport you are listening to the West Ham fan show here on love sport love sport radio I do apologize you're with me Johnny Burrow and Will Pugh and James Jones of West Ham World Coming up, we're going to be looking ahead to that massive game against Watford. But as massive games go, they don't come much bigger than a Champions League semi-final. Spurs, of course, have just kicked off in this crucial second leg against Ajax. 1-0 down. They're away in Amsterdam. An early away goal for Spurs would be absolutely huge. Can you see them doing it? Yeah, I don't think it's insurmountable at all. A couple of Tottenham fans will happen to spend quite a lot of time with every day, which isn't ideal. But they've been fretting and sweating all day and, uh, you know, all woe be them. But I think 1-0 is not that bad at all, is it really? It's it's not insurmountable. They'd had to to score either way, even if it finished 0-0. So, you know, I I don't think it's all doom and gloom at all. It's very worrying, in fact. Yeah, I mean, I've got a horrible feeling they they will do it. Um... (laughs) But, you know, uh, Ajax are a good side. I think a lot of Tottenham fans I know, uh, the way they've been speaking today, they're quite happy that Liverpool got to the final because they're like, you know, we can beat Liverpool. Um, You've still got to play tonight, guys. You know, you're know, you not there yet. And they seem to think that they're there. Um, and if the players have got that sort of mentality, then I think I think they'll be in trouble tonight because Ajax, you know, they've been superb this season. And I think, you know... If you go in there and underestimate in Amsterdam, I think they're going to be in trouble. Absolutely. And we'll bring you updates from that game throughout the show. Talking of switching off, it's a phrase we always hear at the end of the season, isn't it? The players were on the beach with nothing technically to play for. West Ham will be praying that their players haven't got their flip-flops on just yet as they take on Watford at the weekend. I'm delighted to say that we're joined on the line by Jacob Colshaw of WD18, which is a Watford YouTube channel. Jacob, good evening. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Vicarage Road has been a bit of a bogey ground for West Ham. Are you feeling very confident? 
Um, yeah, I mean, on, on paper, um, I, I'm, I'm feeling confident. But then when you look at our, our recent results, I'm, I'm not too confident. I think um, we've obviously we've had to play Manchester City, Manchester United, Arsenal, um, Chelsea. Um, we lost all of those games, but we've only picked up two wins in our last eight um, with one draw coming at, at home to Southampton. Um, and we haven't won at home for, for a long, long time. So um, we need to get back to winning ways against West Ham. And it's particularly crucial for us going into the FA Cup final because both teams don't have anything to play for. Um, obviously, I think West Ham, if they win, they, they do go above uh, Watford. Um, so, yeah, it's a securing a top 10 finish is probably all to play for. But um, nothing really um, that influential. But I think the one thing that Watford particularly are, are looking for going into the game against West Ham is, one, no injuries. And number two, just keeping the momentum going, going into the FA Cup final, which is obviously a massive game. Jacob, do you think that you know, the players, I mean, given your form, hasn't been great recently. Do you think that from a from the, the squad's perspective, one eye is going to be on that cup final? You know, OK, you know, th- there is the opportunity to secure a top 10 finish. But for the players in the football club, surely going to the F- FA Cup final fresh and injury free is more important. Yeah, of course. I think the FA Cup final is now the, the main thing um, for the rest of the season anyway. I think going into that West Ham game, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Javi rotates it to a degree. Um, just because going to that FA Cup final, we want to be having the best chance possible. Obviously, coming up against Manchester City, who are a fantastic team. Um, but I think there'll be a few players out there and, and players that probably won't want to be playing just because the FA Cup final will be the only opportunity they'll get to play in that sort of game. Um, and it doesn't come around often. So I'm sure that's just natural to really have one eye on it. Um, and I think West Ham could take full advantage of it because we're going into the game not really too fast. But obviously, we're more concerned with that game a week later. Um, but yeah, it's basically just not about picking up any injuries um, and, and coming away with hopefully a win. But I think the injuries is honestly more important um, because this coming Sunday. Jacob, talking of massive games, there's a massive one going in at the moment and a massive goal has just flown into the back of the Tottenham Hotspur net, I'm afraid. Matthijs De Ligt, remember the name, still a teenager, European golden boy, Ajax captain. He's captain Netherlands. He scored in the Champions League already. He scored in the Eredivisie. He's a threat from set pieces. He loves a header. He's done it again. It's Ajax 1, Tottenham 0, 2-0 on aggregate. And that job just got a lot harder. You'd have thought they'd have done their research. I'm not being funny. Matis De Ligt has scored two goals from corners direct from the last five games he's played in. If I'm Pochettino, I have three men marking him and I get a bit cleverer with how I approach my set pieces. Jacob, I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go back to that FA Cup final. Obviously, Spurs are up against it here. Lots of people will be looking at Watford going up against Man City and saying, well, you're going to be up against it as well. It's a tough ask, but can you do it? And do you think the fact that there have been magical moments in your FA Cup run, that Delafeo chip springs to mind, is that going to help you at Wembley? Yeah, I think we've kind of got to take that that comeback and that never-say-die attitude going into the final for sure. I think, obviously, it's going to be a really, really difficult task. Um, but I've gained confidence from the fact, not of a good drive, but when we went to the Etihad, it, it really took a, a, a mistake from the linesman who ruled offside when it wasn't offside um, for City's first goal. And we kept them out for 60-odd minutes. 
Um, and that was encouraging because we defended really well that day. Um, and I think at times this season, our defence has been a little bit, a little bit shoddy. Um, is probably the best word to use it. Um, but I think Watford, yeah, if, we've got to keep it tight at the back. And if we can get an early goal, that'd be fantastic. Um, if we concede an early goal, then I'm sure it'll be plain sailing for City. But I think it's just all about making it uncomfortable for City, um, trying to press at the right times. And they have got weaknesses. Um, I know it, it will be difficult and we've got to be clinical up front. And I think that's the one thing um, going into the, into the Manchester City final is we've got to be clinical in front of goal. We can't be um, giving away chances, really good opportunities, which, again, we've been susceptible in recent weeks um, as well. So hopefully going into that Manchester City game, we take our chances, keep it tight at the back. And if, if Man City do unlock us with a, with a world or well-worked move, you, you've got to hold your hands up. But as long as we do the basics right um, and keep it compact for as long as possible, I'm sure we'll have a chance. Jacob, you touched on Delafoe there, who I happen to think is a wizard. But another mm. man who who's, I think has done a fantastic job at the club is obviously Javi Gracia. And it seems yeah. to have gone a little bit under the radar. I don't know whether or not you'd agree that Watford are kind of, a, you know, if they end up finishing 10th and get into the cup final, that's kind of pretty much there or thereabouts their peak. But as far as Gracia goes... There's been a lot more, there was a lot more furor in the past around Marco Silva when he was doing good things at the club. There, For some reason, there doesn't seem to have been that clamour around Gracia. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I don't think he's getting the recognition he deserves, Javi Gracia, this season. Um, going into it, we were tipped by relegation by a number of pundits. Um, we had just sold Richarlison for 40-odd million. Um and we made a profit in the summer. We haven't spent a lot on the squad. It's only a few tweaks to the team um, from last season. And we've managed to compete for seventh. Um, I think we're nine points better than we were this stage last season um, when Javi came in after the Marco Silva debacle. Um, we got our best ever Premier League points tally this year and we've reached the FA Cup final. And I think that deserves a lot more recognition. But on the other hand, if you're going to be a little bit uh, more selfish about it, in a way, it's good that Javi Gracia has gone under the radar because... I can imagine there would be clubs if a managerial opportunity came up um, at a top Absolutely. six club that they would go in for him because what he's achieved with Watford on a limited budget um, in a very short space of time. He only joined, um, uh, not this January, the January before, and he's, he's really built a strong team, not only on the pitch, but off to the, the camaraderie around the Watford squad at the moment is fantastic. And there's a real connection and bond between the fans and the players as well. So what he's built at Watford has been something really, really special. And it's been a fantastic season. So I think you're spot on. We, he has gone under the radar. Um, and that's a shame, really, because I thought he should have been in contention um, for manager of the season. I don't think he should have won it, but I think he should have definitely been nominated. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a weird one because although I would have liked him to, to get more recognition at the same time, the fact he's gone under the radar and um, hopefully hopefully means he'll be sticking around for a little bit longer. Mm, Jacob, and of course, the West Ham game has to come first before that mm. FA Cup final. How do you see it going? I need a score prediction, please. Oh, I, I, I'll tell you what, I, I actually fancy West Ham um, for this one. Um, not lost, well, two wins. You're right, Jacob. Three. This doesn't I know sound I very you, like Jacob. You. No, I'll tell you Best what, guest I, I of the season. West Ham on the back of a 3-0 win against Southampton, obviously winning away at Spurs as well. Um, they're hitting a bit of form, and Watford haven't really. So if I'm, if I'm going to be honest, I, I can see West Ham winning this 2-1, but I'm hoping, as I said, we come away with a game with no injuries, 
Um, hopefully it's a good last game of the season. As I said, there's not a lot to play for apart from a top 10 finish. Um, and that's the most important thing going into Wembley. Well, Jacob, you're a very popular man here in the studio and best of luck for that FA Cup <laughs> final. We will all be supporting you here at Love Sport Radio and thanks ever so much for your time as well. Jacob Colshaw there, who is of WD18, a Watford YouTube channel. You can go check them out. And a reminder for you, it is Ajax 1 Tottenham Hotspur nil in the Champions League 2 nil on ad- aggregate 19 year old Mattis De Ligt Ajax captain with the goal a thumping header from a corner an absolute bullet glorious stuff terrible times for Spurs and now of course that comeback has got a lot harder to mount we saw Liverpool achieve the apparently unachievable last night so coming up I'll be asking you to what is West Ham's greatest ever comeback this is Love Sport. It's Johnny jo- Johnny Jarrow, Johnny Burrow, Will Pugh and James Jones from West Ham World here on Love Sport Radio for the West Ham Fan Show on another glorious night of Champions League action. It is still Ajax 1, Tottenham Hotspur 0 in Amsterdam, although Spurs have agonisingly hit the post since Matis Delict first gave Ajax that lead. But it could be a comeback. It's still alive for Spurs. The dream is still just about there. We saw it from Liverpool last night. A terrifically hard task. They pulled it off. It can be done with that in mind. West Ham, have they got previous? What's your greatest West Ham comeback? Well, I know we were talking about it briefly off air, Johnny. But when, as I said then, when West Ham go 3-0 down, they tend to stay 3-0 down. (laughs) Refreshing. None of this vulgar Liverpool stuff. But while we're on the topic of Tottenham, one springs to mind to me straight away whenever I hear greatest West Ham comeback. And it was one of the most enjoyable games of football I've ever attended. And it was 25th of October. The Carabao Cup fourth round, Wembley Stadium, 2-0 down at half-time in a freezing cold concourse after Sissoko and Deli Alli had put Tottenham 2-0 up. And then, thanks to Andre Ayew's brace, we were back in the game before Angelo Bonner leapt like a salmon, thumped a header into the back of the Spurs net to put us in raptures and 3-2 up. It was, honestly, it was one of the greatest games I've been to. That literally beats any other comebacks I think the club have had. So, two other stick stick to mind. I mean, that is a that's a brilliant comeback for us. But I think um, I always remember the five four against Bradford. But I think we were four one or four two down in that game. Uh, the, the same game that Paolo Di Canio asked to be subbed, and then had a fight with Lampard and then over a fight the with Lampard. I mean, it had everything that game. Um, and then you know, even more recently than that, you know, at Goodison Park and a few years ago, where we were two 0 down with what was it, eight minutes to go. And uh, we won 3-2, Demi Payet with a winner. I think Sacco, Sacco scored. Um, I don't know who scored the other one. I can't remember who scored the other one. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, particularly given Goodison Park's a bit of a bogey ground for us, uh, apart from this season. Um, it, uh, up until that point, it was a bit of a bogey ground for us. So to go there and, and, and come back from two of them with like, what, six, seven minutes to go was, was a great comeback. But other than that, there isn't many. We did have the comeback against Huddersfield this season, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, not that it should really count. No, it doesn't really count. It was quite a good comeback. I, mean, it was I was a good there. Comeback. It was a good comeback. You know, it was fun. You know, we all enjoyed it. You know, we'd rather have not have come, had to come back. In a, in a game like that, again, Tot- Tottenham away at Wembley, you know, you take it. Um, that but, was It was fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's the games where you're kind of, you're not surprised you're losing 2 or 3 nil. 
Uh, but then you're really surprised you've come back and won it. Whereas losing three one at home to Huddersfield at that time, we were annoyed that we were three one down and we weren't. <laughs> but then and so winning it was yeah great. We came back, but we shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. You can't really put it in great comebacks. I don't think there was the Andy Carroll Arsenal game as well, wasn't there? Uh, Upton Park when we were a couple down. A couple down, yeah. We drew two two at half time, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. Carol come back. Yeah, yeah, that's actually now you mention it, Johnny. It's been loads. You come back from 3 0 down the whole time. <laughs> I, I, just on that, I've not celebrated a goal. Carol's equalised in that game. I've not celebrated a goal like that ever uh, like the way I did. Oh, I fell about five, six rows down the front. Uh, <laughs> out Were you all right? I, I went, oh, and I was, I'd had a few beers, to be fair, but I, 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 was, I was away. I almost broke my leg. I mean, <laughs> leg caught in the chair, and it was also. I mean, the the absolute scenes, limbs everywhere. Um, not celebrated a goal like that since. Although limbs is meant to be a term for a particularly positive celebration of a goal, when they say limbs everywhere, James, they do still mean that they should be attached to your body. <laughs> Intact. <Yeah. laughs> well, let's be careful. My leg almost wasn't after that. But <laughs> limbs everywhere. It was well away worth it. from me. Well, wonderful stuff. We've heard that West Ham can come back. I asked you before the match kicked off, bearing in mind that Spurs started this game 1-0 down, Ajax, of course, with an away goal. I asked you whether you thought the comeback was on. They now find themselves 1-0 down on the night. Matis de Ligt scoring that goal for Ajax. 2-0 down on aggregate with an away goal. It's tough. Can Spurs do it? Well, they've got to score two now. I just, uh, I, I just, I, it's, it is hard, isn't it? When you say can or do you want. It's yeah. hard to, I, I mean, hard can. to differentiate. I know, I know you don't want them It's to. difficult to differentiate between the two, isn't it? I, th- I think so. I mean, you saw what they'd done against City in the last leg. I know they haven't. But I just think with Sun in the team, they're a completely different outfit. I know that seems like the most basic and obvious thing to say, but I think he's fantastic. And I think with him in the team, he's always dangerous. And there's no defence in the land, let alone the continent, that would. Uh, yeah. That no. wouldn't be afraid of him in, in their team. So I think they've got two goals in them in most games. Always dangerous, particularly if you're a Colombian central midfielder playing for Bournemouth who wants to stay standing up for the full 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. but I can't see him getting sent off again. No. Well, would. you would hope not. You'd have thought if it was would, two well, in a row. I wouldn't hope not. <laughs> Why is it that you so don't want them to get through? We discussed this at the beginning of the show. You were saying, I don't care about the prospect of an all-English final. Why doesn't that appeal to you? Well, one th- sorry, James. One thing it's not is uh, a love and an admiration for Ajax's football. Although there is a little bit of that, it is just pure tribalism, isn't it? It is. Tr- it is. Um, and you know, Tottenham fans go, "Ah, oh, what?" You know, West Ham fans—they don't like us, but we don't really care about them. Now, you saw how they reacted after we beat them a couple of weeks ago. They hate us just as much, and it is exactly that. It's tribalism, you know. We're London rivals. Uh, we all have mates that support Spurs. They have mates that support West Ham. You know, it is what it is. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I, I know a lot of Tottenham fans that will openly admit that they are the most unbearable football fans going. How do you uh, rate them compared to Liverpool's? Because we often hear that Liverpool, the other well, finalists, see, are the worst. I know a lot of Liverpool fans as well, and none of them, none of them are as, as unbearable as, as, as Tottenham fans. You know... A lot of people don't understand it. If Tottenham get to the Champions League final, we genuinely will never hear the end of it. They could get spanked 8 or 9 nil in the final and they'd still go on about how great it was that they got to the cup final. They'll be selling DVDs 
DVDs of the run long after you can't buy a DVD player for exactly, love nor money. Yeah, it's madness. I have still got my DVD of Andre Ayew's inspired <laughs> comeback. Now, I must admit. Have you actually? <laughs> have I? Yeah. What Fair a night! Point. How much yeah. you spend on that? The state of that, that will f- Fifteen pound, very 15 well spent. English I think, right, pounds. Yeah. Wait, I just need to clear out. Are you being serious? I'm. I, I must admit, you that's spend... the only one of them cringy. What, they DVDs actually but... released a DVD. I'm sure that? there was a DVD of that one. Yeah, yeah. That's embarrassing. They done the Revel Morrison game, but I'm almost certain they did an Andre Ayew one oh, as well. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not embarrassed at all. I was well having it. <laughs> no, I, I, I need a minute here. I'm not having that. Coming up, we will be previewing that Watford game from the West Ham perspective. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the West Ham Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. It's Johnny Burrow and James Jones and Will Pugh of West Ham World. Still, Ajax 1, Tottenham 0. They've got a chance, but that chance is slipping away with each passing minute. Updates for you, of course, throughout the show. And talking of chances, West Ham have a chance to really finish the season in a wholly positive way. It was great against Southampton, that 3-0 win. It could be really compounded with a win against Watford away at Vicarage Road at the weekend. But can they do it? Absolutely. I think Jacob, who was probably the one of my sensible guests we've had on all year, James, wouldn't you say? Yeah, is that for, because he said West Ham would win? That's the only reason. It's, yeah, it's the, it's, <laughs> no, I'm going to put that. He's the best guest we've had yeah, this year. Fact. Oh, that actually, that that Tottenham fan we had on before the game, he was we, quite good. We should he? get him back on at the end of the season, actually. <laughs> Dan, Dan Tracy was his name. That's it. Yeah, yeah. But no, that was. Uh, I, I I think we can do it. Why not? We played well at the weekend. He touched on it there. Watford. A, aren't in that good form, and B, have the the FA Cup final looming, which if I was a Watford fan, I'd be focusing on more as well. And I think, for me, it's really important that we we do win the game, because if we'd have finished 11th or 12th, there would have just been something in me that felt like it was disappointing. Despite Mm. the fact we've... like surpassed our points total for last season we've conceded less goals and we've scored more so they're all just those metrics alone we've we have improved which is great and the club are going in the right direction and I just think it's a nice little bonus as well away from all that to just be able to go oh look we're in the top half and if we finish ninth or tenth which we will do if we beat Watford on the weekend I think that'll be a really nice ending to a really you know quite a positive season overall. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I think, you know, as I briefly mentioned uh, earlier on in the show, you know, we, we finished last season well. I think we're unbeaten in four going into this one and we can do the same this year. But this year seems a little bit different. It feels as if this year we need to have that sort of positive end just to really get us over the line into the summer and take take that pos- positivity into the beginning of next season. Um, and it'd be nice if we can secure a top 10 finish. I've said over the last, you know, several weeks, you know, I, it's been disappointing that, you know, we were one minute we were fighting for seventh and, and now we're, you know, we're struggling that we could even finish 12th. I don't think we finished lower than that now, but um, so that's been a bit of an anti-climax to what promised to be quite a positive season. But, you know, we've gone into this last game with, you know, with uh, good form. And I think we've, I, I looked at Watford away at the beginning of the season. That's going to be a, a, quite a tough end to the season, you know. Uh, I didn't quite, you know, obviously I didn't quite think that we began to this with Watford having, you know, not won in a few weeks and having a fair cup final to think about. And I think that works in our favour. So I do fancy this at the weekend. And I think, you know, with Anderson and Declan Rice, uh, if they're not still if ill, they're, if they're not still ill, 
uh, or f- on their way to Madrid. Um, you know, <laughs> with Ryan Snodgrass. With Ryan Snodgrass. Oh, Snodgrass is the first. He's probably already there. Yeah, um, yeah with, with those three back in the squad, I think we're, we're a lot stronger. Um, and I think uh, I do fancy to get all three points. But that said, Vicarage Road isn't isn't a happy hunting ground for us, really, is it? I, th- I think we've, we've struggled there quite a lot in, in, in recent seasons. I think the last time we, we won was, uh, I remember Scott Parker's last game for us. It was our first year in the Championship. And, uh, was it 4-1 four, four that we won? That that's it, four, yeah, yeah. yeah. Parker, Parker scored a screamer, left foot screamer from about 20 yards and then promptly left. <laughs> yeah, to Tottenham. Yeah. But yeah, I think, uh, I do, fan- I mean, I fancy this year to put, you know, put that to bed a little bit and, and, and end the season on a real good, real good high. One serious point that Jacob Colshaw made when he was on the line to give us the opposition view was that there are going to be players for Watford who effectively don't want to play in this game because they'll be really, really nervous about injury. If you're Gerard Delafeo and you score a wonderful chip dink in the semi-final to get your club to an FA Cup final, the last thing you want is a broken ankle against West Ham. That can only work in your favour, can't it? Do you think it's not that they'll be on their holiday, but they just really won't want to be on the pitch? Yeah, and I think that has to be the team talk. I know it's our last game. I know all there is to fight for is is ninth place or tenth place. But if if you're one of those West Ham players, you know you're going into that game going right first tackle. I'm going to hit someone. I'm going to yeah. real, real crunching tackle because as, as as Jacob quite rightly said, none of those players are going to want to be playing, and. What in the first ten twenty seconds have they got a player going through them, putting them on the deck? You know, fair tackle. I'm not saying you know go out there and try and injure someone, but fair tackle, nice and physical. They're going to be worried. They're not. They're, they're not going to want to win fifty fifties. They're not going to be wanting to win the second ball. You know, and they're going to be they're going to be jumping out of tackles, and that'll work in our favour. So you just hope that's the team talk. You really do. No, I, I don't disagree as well. And I think there'll be, when you hear all the professional answers from the players and the manager in the media about, oh, no, there'll be none of that. We only focus on the next game, etc., etc. No way in a thousand years. Those 11 men on the pitch are all humans, aren't they? And they'll be thinking, I want to play in an FA yeah. Cup final, mm. not a scrap against West Ham for and ninth I, place in the league. And I back, <laughs> I back Mark Noble to be the guy that puts in that first physical challenge. Just after his birthday as well. Well, guys, it's that time in the show where I've got to press you for your sp- score predictions for that game. What are you saying? I think Watford will be a little bit tighter at the back than Southampton were, but I do think we'll win it, so I'm going to say 2-1. 2-1, and James? 2-0, West Ham. 2-0, West Ham. We're confident for West Ham, but on a night where Spurs have gone 1-0 down in Amsterdam, we're not that confident anymore of an all-English Champions League final. Remember, Ajax are yet to lose a Champions League game when they've taken the lead. They've won 45, drawn 10 lost zero it's a frightening evening to be a Tottenham fan we'll be bringing you updates all night here on Love Sport Radio right through to that final whistle and coming up it's Fulham but before I let you go gents Mark Noble if you could give him one birthday gift what would it be just another five-year contract I think (laughs) 10 year 15 (laughs) just a real comforting hug a comforting hug for Mark Noble on his birthday What a way to leave it on the West Ham Fan Show on Love Sport Radio. Sports Social Podcast Network.